Professor Lees has uh, made a, a wonderful overview of many of the issues of the green economy. Uh, we face uh, a, a, an adding up constraint, which is that as uh, many countries achieve rapid economic growth, the continuing pressures on ecosystems both locally in those countries and globally uh, is creating a, a cascading set of problems and crises that are so far uh, not being addressed adequately and are leading to worse and worse crises. Part of the problem, as Professor Lee said, is indeed better solutions, better technology, but part of the problem is uh, the profound complexities of uh, and, and uh, unmet, uh, un unmet solutions politically. There are many technologies, for example, that are known, proven, demonstrated, highly cost-effective to do a great many important things that could improve the lives and the sustainability of the planet, which we're not doing. And these are problems, uh, therefore, of organization and cooperation uh, rather than uh, problems of technology per se. Uh, on uh, other kinds of issues, the scale of the challenge that we face, you know, we're talking about not only incremental changes, but we're talking about the need for more fundamental changes uh, to uh, basic uh, uh, technological systems. So let me say a few words about uh, each of each of these dimensions. We started out uh, 11 years ago with a set of global goals around one part of the global challenge and that was to address the problems uh, mainly of extreme poverty. These are the Millennium Development Goals which were adopted in September 2000 and have a uh, duration till the year 2015. What's interesting about these Millennium Development Goals from my point of view is that despite the profound weaknesses of politics within almost every country and at the global level where coordination and cooperation is extremely weak, uh, the Millennium Development Goals somehow took hold uh, as at least an inspiration for much of the world and as a kind of political reality for many, many countries. So 11 years after they were first adopted, the Millennium Development Goals remain a, a potent political force within many of the developing countries and civil society within those countries and internationally continues to put <laughs> emphasis and pressure on the Millennium Development Goals. But it's interesting uh, what has happened and what has not happened. On the positive side, what's happened is that uh, a lot of governments that were not concerned about extreme poverty have been able to focus policies and politics on uh, getting children to school, on improving primary health systems, 
uh, and on addressing some of the crucial aspects of extreme poverty, uh, also improving the uh, productivity and livelihoods of the farm sector. But when the Millennium Development Goals were set, the terms of the uh, goals also included cooperation between the rich and the poor countries. And it probably is in this area that the biggest breakdown has occurred. The original notion was that the high-income countries would help the poorer countries to finance the achievement of the Millennium Development Goals through incremental foreign assistance. And this process, I would say, of uh, income transfers from rich to poor countries, which is a long-standing uh, aim of the international system, is really falling into very, very serious crisis at this point. A lot of the crisis uh, is uh, obvious uh, that the high-income countries uh, have experienced uh, an economic uh, shock uh, and financial crisis, especially after 2008. Part of the reason uh, also for the shortfall of development assistance uh, is that many of the emerging economies uh, grew sufficiently rapidly that they really don't depend on development aid uh, in the way that was envisioned even just a decade ago. But what is also true is that the politics of global cooperation has also failed us in a very important way. It's not only the economic crisis and it's not only the success of many emerging economies, but it's also a breakdown of multilateralism in, in an important dimension. I say this because uh, one of the most dramatic things that has happened recently is an almost complete failure of the high-income world to honor its commitments even to the world's poorest countries and even regarding the most urgent matters of disease control. We established at the beginning of the last decade a global fund to fight AIDS, tuberculosis, and malaria. Last week, that fund announced that it would stop any new programs to the year 2014 at the earliest because of a shortfall of funds. The United States and Europe both have failed to honor the financial obligations that they made to the Global Fund. And now many countries in Africa, for example, which depend on the Global Fund to fight AIDS, TB, and malaria will be left without the requisite funding. One could say uh, that this is a result of the financial crisis, but I think the problem is actually far deeper. In the United States, for example, uh, the U.S. had promised $1.3 billion per year to the Global Fund. This is not very much money for the United States since it's less than one day spending on the military, for example, which is $1.9 billion. So we promise for one year what less than we spend on one day on the military. And yet the United States is now reneging on its commitment, saying that the United States can't honor its pledge of even $1.3 billion for a year. This is uh, an example of a breakdown of politics 
and a breakdown of ethics even more than it is a matter of finances because the United States could easily find this money but in our politics today there's no politician of a national stature that cares about this issue the president of the United States says very little the Congress is very hostile to foreign assistance uh, generally uh, uh, the Republican Party is hostile to the United Nations and so even on a crucial life-and-death issue we have a failure of politics of the first order and I think in Europe uh, with the growing crisis of the Eurozone it's basically the same uh, that Europe could easily finance its commitments but it chooses not to finance its commitments because there's now a deep lack of will if we look beyond the Millennium Development Goals uh, briefly to uh, the environmental challenges that Professor Lees was talking about uh, the challenges of energy uh, especially transition to a low carbon energy system the challenge of sustainable food supplies which is not only a challenge of producing enough food but producing it in an environmentally sustainable manner that doesn't destroy the remaining habitat of countless millions of species by bringing down the rainforests or by uh, depleting groundwater uh, aquifers uh, or by polluting the environment through runoff of nitrogen and phosphorus for example we say the same lack of will there are many technologies right now that could substantially increase the productivity, productivity of smallholder small farmers, farmers in many parts, many of, the parts of the world and indeed there was indeed an attempt, there was an attempt to, or a claim in 2009 by the leading countries that they would fund uh, a special effort to raise the productivity of smallholder farmers my estimate is that Africa's smallholder farmers who now achieve a yield of about 1.2 metric tons per hectare of cereal grains could easily double possibly even triple those yields uh, using existing technologies and again the rich countries promised that they would address uh, that challenge by establishing a fund at the World Bank they established the fund but then they provided no money into the fund and so it's as if uh, of course no effort was undertaken at all when it comes to the longer-term environmental challenges uh, the world will be heading to Rio for a Rio plus 20 summit in the middle of June of 2012 of course this Rio plus 20 summit is a follow-up to the 1992 Rio summit we can look at that 1992 Rio summit as the high point of global environmentalism because that summit also was a world leaders summit in which countries adopted three major treaties these are the framework convention on climate change the convention on biological diversity and the convention to combat desertification 
Again, in all three of these areas, uh, Professor Lees is absolutely correct that improved technologies would make a very, very big difference. And in fact, the scale of the challenge is so great that we need some fundamental advances, especially in low carbon energy systems. Yet it's also true that with the technologies that we have now, uh, which could make a significant difference, we have failed almost entirely, in my estimation, to achieve progress on the UN Framework Convention on Climate Change. We've had uh, 18 meetings, uh, conventions of the party. Uh, we uh, are not quite, I guess, uh, 17. Uh, we will go to Rio 20 years later, and uh, while we adopted as a world the uh, Kyoto Protocol, the truth of the matter is we haven't really budged the needle on the growth of greenhouse gas emissions and their rising concentration in the atmosphere. Uh, we're almost uh, on an unchanged trajectory uh, relative to a trajectory that uh, we might have seen in 1992. This is a profound failure of global politics. The situation regarding biological diversity is probably even more extreme because the United States never even ratified the Convention on Biological Diversity, while it did at least ratify the Convention on Climate Change, though it never did anything about climate change. When it came to biological diversity, our uh, right-wing politics uh, led to a uh, an opposition to the treaty on the grounds that it violated private property rights. Uh, and surely it did, in the sense that uh, preserving biological diversity means that uh, landowners should not be allowed to do anything they want on their private land if it endangers uh, biological diversity. But this was not accepted uh, in the United States. And in general, worldwide, there has been terribly little progress uh, on uh, serious measures to address the loss of biological diversity, which continues unabated and even at an accelerated pace. Uh, as I'm sure everybody knows, it is credibly held that we are in the world's, the Earth's sixth great extinction phase since the beginning of, uh, of life on the planet more than three billion years ago. The first five extinctions were uh, naturally uh, induced by uh, Earth system changes or collisions with asteroids and so forth, but the sixth is human-induced, and we've not been able to head this off uh, at all to this point. A goal was set in 2002 to significantly slow the loss of biological diversity by 2010. But that goal never gained any traction. Uh, it was not even recognized in most of the world, uh, even though it was legally promulgated. But public opinion never uh, even uh, knew about it, except uh, in, in Europe. Uh, and uh, we have failed. When it comes to the third of the Rio treaties, the Convention to Combat Desertification, I'm afraid that we arrive in uh, Rio plus 20 with the uh, 
greatest crisis uh, of, uh, of the desertification uh, that we've seen in a generation, and that is the intense famine uh, in the Horn of Africa this year, a famine which has killed many tens of thousands of people, perhaps hundreds of thousands or even millions uh, from the uh, side effects of uh, deep undernutrition, uh, and a famine which most likely reflects the uh, increasing dangers of long-term climate change because it's hypothesized that the drier conditions over the Horn of Africa reflect the long-term warming of the Indian Ocean. But it's shocking to see that this, uh, this uh, terrible famine uh, has produced very little public attention globally and very little public response. Uh, because we have so many crises right now, or things that we interpret to uh, have be crises, that even when a massive famine threatens tens of millions of people, it, it hardly gets noticed in our world today. So I'm sorry to be so grim about uh, all of this. It is to say that uh, we really are in a political and a moral crisis. Uh, even more than a technological crisis, though I agree with Professor Lees that technology is also vital. We are not doing the things we can be doing. We're not even paying attention to them. Uh, of course, I'm speaking as an American with a government that is probably least uh, addressing these issues compared to potential. In the United States, we don't even talk about climate change. Uh, in the United States, we don't even talk about biological diversity. Our politics have become so corrupt uh, that they are dominated by powerful lobbies uh, like uh, the oil and the coal industry. Uh, these industries propagandize. They uh, dominate the airwaves. They scare the politicians or the politicians themselves, incidentally, are so corrupted uh, that they are direct financial beneficiaries of these powerful industries. Uh, we have a military contractors industry which receives hundreds of billions of dollars a year of military contracts, much of which is for equipment that is absolutely not needed and is dangerous. And that also draws money away from even the $1.3 billion uh, that the United States promised to the Global Fund. So in this regard, uh, the kind of meeting that we're having today is extremely important because we need to create even as much as we need new technological approaches, we also need uh, new uh, networks of uh, civil society that can address the corruption of our politics uh, because it's a corruption, of course, I think it's very, very bad in the United States, among the worst in the world, but it's a corruption of politics in many parts of the world that leads to uh, setting uh, goals and then completely putting them aside, not devoting the resources needed, not having the stamina and the uh, determination to see them through. Professor Lees is perhaps in the one part of the world uh, that has
been relatively focused on the environmental issues because I give uh, Europe more credit than any other part of the world uh, in at least keeping a focus. But even in Europe, the achievements are, are quite modest. And uh, when we see the rapid growth in Asia, while there is uh, indeed some action on uh, renewable energy and on climate change in China and elsewhere, the truth of the matter is that most of the development that's taking place remains uh, resource dependent, uh, it remains fossil fuel based, it remains heavily polluting, and uh, most of our governments uh, are not prepared to take major commitments and see them through in the face of market forces and uh, private interests uh, and often corrupt politics that steers the process uh, not towards the social good but towards the short-run market gain. And I wish that I could tell you at two in the morning here in the United States that I had a great solution uh, to all of this. I do not. Uh, I'm uh, watching in uh, utter despair and amazement uh, the unfolding of our election year process in the United States and it looks to be as awful or even more awful than usual with uh, less attention to these issues than ever before more denialism uh, even more nihilism I would say that is more cynicism uh, and less focus now the, the United States cannot hold up the whole world uh, as it often does because it used to be a leader now it's not even a follower uh, now it's uh, simply off on its own without active participation in problem solving but I think that there are many many countries that are also in the same situation where politics have really been hijacked by powerful interests and we are a network of scientists we are a network of scientists uh, and uh, uh, and uh, specialists in these issues that need to uh, really raise our own game and our own voice more effectively than has been true in the past. Uh, it's not that we're going to do all the wonderful things if we're enabled. We have a real fight on our hands because there are very powerful interests that are resisting the kinds of progress that are already within our grasp. On that note, uh, let me uh, add those sober thoughts I'm sorry to be uh, a little bit uh, down uh, in my remarks. Uh, we have obviously wonders of technology that have brought us together. We have wonders uh, of technology and energy and agriculture and healthcare that could do so much. But unless we're able to mobilize politics far more effectively than we've been able to do, I'm afraid that we're going to continue to fall uh, direly short of our uh, of our goals and short of our needs. Thank you very much.